Again, Lord, we come to you. We thank you for your presence here with us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as we come to this time where we dig into your word, Lord, I pray that you would remove the scales from our eyes that we might truly see. Father, would you illuminate this word for us and help us to understand. The Bible says the word is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And so, Lord, would you let it speak to us today? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning again. Um, If you happen to read the bulletin this week, that uh, it was emailed out, or it was on the website, so I don't know if you looked at it or not, but there was a brief synopsis of today's message, and it said that this weekend in Canada marks the weekend that people typically gather together with loved ones. And as they gather and enjoy a meal, and enjoy some time of fellowship, they often do that remembering all the reasons they have to give thanks. And if that's where you find yourself today, I am so glad. My heart rejoices with you. And I praise the Lord with you in that. But the synopsis also asks some really important questions. And they bear repeating. What if life has been really hard? And cultivating a thankful heart doesn't come easily. Brothers and sisters, I know, I know that there is a lot of heartache in this house today. And those are just the things I know of. I'm sure there's lots of things that people never speak of that are weighing them down, that are being carried in silence. And I just want to ask, in those times, what does God expect of us? What does he want? And we'll get to that in a moment. But if you're finding Thanksgiving weekend particularly hard, and you come here brokenhearted today, for whatever the reason, I just want to share a couple things with you right off the bat. I want to thank you for still coming. Because you are exactly where you need to be in the presence of God. You are seen, you are loved. I confess I've weathered my share of storms in life and my heart needs constant reminding of these things. I've also struggled with a lesson that's hard for us to wrap our heads around, but it's absolute truth, suffering, and thankfulness, they can and must coexist. It's not one or the other. They're not mutually exclusive. In fact, far from it. Today we're going to start by reading from Colossians 3, verses 15 to 17. Your Bible might have a title for this section. In mind, the headings, Living as Those Made Alive in Christ. Alive in Christ. Does anybody else want to live that way? Because I do. So Colossians 3, verses 
15 to 17. This is um, an excerpt from a letter that Paul writes to a group of people who are already believers. And I want you to, as I read it, imagine yourself as part of that group of believers. And let these words speak to your heart today. So Colossians 3, 15 to 17. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you, rich, dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Verse 15 says, let the peace of Christ rule our hearts. Notice it says the peace of Christ. It doesn't say peace with Christ, and there's a difference. Peace with is the forgiveness of sins which allows us to be in relationship with God the Father. In a friendship, when one individual wrongs another, the two are at odds with one another, and they might even part ways. When the offending person realizes his or her error, apologizes and is granted forgiveness, there is an opportunity for that relationship to be restored. So it is with God and people, through Jesus. Given the magnitude of our sin, this is incredible in itself. But there's more to the peace of Christ. The Greek word here, translated as peace, is Irene. And I wouldn't even mention it, except that that little word is packed full of meaning. It means living in the absence of mental stress or anxiety. And hear this. It's a peace that is especially resulting from a proper recognition of salvation's worth. Of knowing just how far he's brought us and making us the new creations that we are. This is the redemption that can be ours through the shed blood of Jesus on the cross if we're willing to believe and accept it. Jesus' death brought about the forgiveness of our sins and allowed us to be reconciled to God. That means that we could have direct access to God the Father and live out eternity in heaven with the Almighty but it also allows us access to the power of his Holy Spirit. Jesus says in John 14, 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. This is the kind of assurance, the kind of peace that we need if we are to have any hope of navigating and thriving in this age. We are not and cannot be made fully alive in Christ without it. And this is the peace that we're to let rule our hearts. To, 
exercise the ultimate power and authority over all our decisions and actions. This is powerful stuff. Just as an aside, if we are to let it rule, as the verse says, that means we have some control or choice over the matter. In the introduction of the message today, two of the questions asked were, what does God want from us and what does he expect? Choosing to let the peace of God rule our hearts is part of the answer. And why does Paul tell us we need to do this? Because we are members of one body that was called to peace. This second occurrence of the word peace points to the high value placed on our relationships with one another and unity in the church. Does anyone else long to see that happen? A unified church. It starts with each of us individually choosing to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. But let's not overlook those last three words of verse 15. And be thankful. I was reading one Bible commentary that stated in relation to gratitude, there are three types of people in this world. Those who take God's blessings completely for granted. Those who are grateful for how God has blessed them. And those rare few who are grateful to God just because he's God. People who fall into this second category are those who express their thanks when things are going their way. When Jehovah Jireh has allowed their cupboard to be full and their health to, their health to be well. Don't get me wrong. If that's where we're at, we ought to be thankful, right? But when times are tough and not as they should be, people often in the second category find that their circumstances are starting to silence their thanksgiving. Let's be real, don't, don't we all kind of find ourselves there sometimes? As much as we mature in our faith though, we will let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts in increasing measure. And as we do, we will find we identify with that third category of people more and more. We will become those who are grateful to God just because he's God. Moving on to verse 16, we read, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. What is this message of Christ? Well, it, it's the gospel, it's the good news. It's the truth that all the, these mind-blowing and incredible things that we just talked about are freely and indiscriminately available to all because of God's mercy. See that word dwell? It means to live. Life comes from God himself. God is life. 
But again, we see that word let, that little word. And that means that we can, in our humanness, we can impede it. Amazingly though, when we cooperate with God, he uses us in reaching others and then helping them to grow. This dwelling or living among, it happens as we teach and admonish. It happens as we warn one another and follow God's word. It happens as we share the gospel message because life begets life. And then we read that list of reasons of the ways that this occurs through psalms, hymns, etc. Now doctrine is the beliefs that we teach. And interestingly, in Reformed theology, the doctrine of sanctification, sanctification being the process by which we're made holy, it comes, it's, called, it's also called the doctrine of gratitude. And the reason it's called this is because pursuing a holy life is partly way, our way of saying thank you to God for saving us. As former Westminster Chapel pastor Artie Kendall says, gratitude is showing that one values the kindness of God. And doesn't that fit just perfectly with the end of verse 16, where we're told that as we teach and admonish, we're to do it while singing to God with gratitude in our hearts. Finally, we come to verse 17. It says, and whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, every word spoken, every action, all of it, not most of it, is to be done in the name of the Lord. Our words are powerful. They should build up and edify as Colossians 4, 6 says, they should be full of grace and seasoned with salt. And when we do things in the name of the Lord, it means we act consistently with his character, consistently with his heart. We are, after all, Christ's ambassadors, aren't we? But we're not quite done yet. At the end of verse 17, for the third time in these three short verses, we read of giving thanks. As we go about life, it says we are to give thanks to God the Father through him. And this repetition is a pretty good indicator as to just how important thanksgiving is to God. So what does God want from us? What does he expect? Well, let me ask you this. Who here likes to be thanked and praised? Now, I'm not talking about the kind of thanks and praise that puts us in the spotlight. I just mean, who likes a bit of genuine appreciation? Come on, don't be shy. Put your hand up. I like it. I think we all do. Did you ever stop and think that maybe we like to be thanked? And maybe we like to be praised because that's how we're made. God made us in his image. Could it be that he made us to want praise and gratitude 
if only to send us a hint that he wants the same thing too. Some food for thought, right? The Apostle Paul also wrote the book of Philippians, which is another letter to a group of believers with multiple references to thanksgiving. In chapter 4, verse 6, he writes, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So in all circumstances, if we're feeling anxious or upset, hurt, angry, frustrated, discouraged, depressed, full of grief, you get it. We turn it into prayer. We get real and we have an honest conversation with God, the God who loves us where we're at, and we present our request to him. Then comes the hard part, with thanksgiving. What? You mean to say even then we're to be thankful? Paul must be joking, right? But he's not. One of the things we need to understand is that when we express our thanks and our gratitude, it requires a posture of humility. It shows that we cannot do everything on our own and express, it expresses appreciation for something that we didn't do ourselves. It's an admission that we need help. But Paul doesn't just say we're to be thankful. He goes a step further, and he says we are to rejoice. To be clear, of all people, Paul knew difficult times. He says in Philippians 4, 11, and 12, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Even after being persecuted for his faith and thrown in prison, he continues to keep this incredible attitude, and he continues to evangelize and encourage from his prison cell. He can do and say all this because he remembers just how far the Lord has brought him. He remembers what he was, which is in vast contrast to the new creation he becomes. His gratitude for such complete transformation is what moves him to rejoice and give thanks in spite of the conditions. As we grow in faith, it will do the same for us. In addition, when we give thanks in all circumstances and rejoice, we'll start to experience greater intimacy with God. Can you think of anything better than that? It does this because it shows our gratitude is in the person of Christ, not just the times he acts as we think he ought to or when things are going our way. As we learn to trust in the Lord, we grow in the confidence that he has the ability to calm the storms in our lives. But even greater than that, he promises to be with us in the storms, to never leave us or forsake us. In turn, when future trials come our way, we'll find ourselves running more quickly to him because he is the source of all we need. Do we trust in his sovereignty? 
even when the chips are down? Do we trust that his plans for us are ultimately good? Because you cannot have deep intimacy without trust. And God wants both. Just before we close, I want to say some important things. The first, I said earlier, that suffering and thankfulness can and must coexist. When bad things happen and people suffer, it is appropriate to be sad. It's appropriate to be angry, to feel what you feel. Our emotions are important. They're part of us. It's how we're wired. Emotions tell us something about what's going on in our hearts and that there's something important that we need to pay special attention to. But sometimes we deny them. And sometimes we push them away because we're afraid of them. Maybe we don't understand them. Or maybe we think because good Christians are only allowed to feel a certain way or certain kinds of feelings. But friends, we cannot heal and become whole if we do this. And wholeness is God's intention for us. It's his desire that you be whole. Sometimes we need some extra help. That's okay. That's why we're designed to live in community. We might need the guidance of a pastor, the guidance of a Christian counselor or a mature Christian friend. Here at Bethel, we have a team of trained prayer ministers. Please don't hesitate to contact Joanne Rosendahl for help, setting up an appointment if that's what you need. All this being said, we are not a people without hope. As we already discussed, if we believe the message of Christ and accept Jesus as our Savior, then we are forgiven and made new. Because of that, we can have the assurance that God is with us. He will never leave us or forsake us. If you don't have this peace and you don't know this hope we speak of yet, or because you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. Or maybe you're ready to commit your life to Christ but aren't sure how. Come find me after the service. Find an elder, find a deacon, find a member of our prayer team. We love the opportunity to talk and pray with you. I assure you, whatever you're going through, and I mean whatever, God is in control. He is sovereign over all. He is forever faithful and loves us beyond comprehension. For that, we can give thanks and rejoice. But we have a choice to make. Are we going to let our circumstance silence our thanksgiving? Or are we going to sing in the middle of the storm? I'm going to invite Caleb up. He's going to play a song here, and I want to invite you to a personal time of prayer. Though we're together, this is your time with God. Being mindful of space and distancing, you may come to the front. You can kneel in front of the cross. You can stay where you are if you're more comfortable there. You can find space at the back. There's no right way of doing this. Just humbly come before him. Lay your heart out, whatever condition it's in. 
and just say thanks. Thanks. 